Good morning. Welcome to Valley Lights Church. That video you just watched is a quick synopsis of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, it's funny, you put some images of Jesus and a little powerful music behind it, and it gets me emotional <laughs> when I think about our life, our new life in Jesus Christ. And so I'm really glad that you're here. On Easter, which was last Sunday, we started talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And it's worth circling back for just a moment, because when God raised Jesus, his son, from the grave, it was a supernatural, miraculous event. To this day, it remains the most significant event in human history. And so I'm, I'm really glad that you're here. I'm really excited to share some things with you from the Bible, where we started last week. Uh, we started a new message series last Sunday called Before and After and looking at the difference that we experience before and after we find Jesus. And so, uh, my name is Bruce, I'm the lead pastor here, and so I'm really glad you've joined us. A question I just want to consider today together is, why is the resurrection such a big deal? Jesus rose from the dead, it was supernatural, and if you're investigating Christianity, you might say, I'm not even sure that the resurrection even happened, like historically. If you're already a follower of Jesus, you might say, yeah, I believe, I believe the resurrection. I believe it happened. I believe it's, it contributes to my salvation, but I'm not really sure how the resurrection is relevant to my everyday life. I mean, I wake up, I go to work, life is busy, I'm concerned about family and my friends and health and everything else. Don't really think about the resurrection day to day. And I'm not really sure what a message on the resurrection would, would do. What's the big deal? So that's, that's kind of the question. And to jump to the, end, to the answer, the, the reality of Christ's resurrection invades our everyday life in a radically powerful way. The Bible passages that we're going to read today could significantly, significantly impact some decisions that you might even make this week. The resurrection may influence what you do today or this month or this year. So we started this message series by reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, this, it's a letter. This part of the Bible is a letter written by a church leader named Paul. And it's all about the resurrection of Jesus. This chapter is kind of known among Bible scholar guys as just like a big, beefy, meaty chapter. It's actually extra long. It's about the length of two normal chapters. And... Not only is it about the resurrection of Jesus, it's actually all about our resurrection. And so, listen to one key part of this chapter. Uh, I'm going to just highlight verse 17. Paul writes, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. Your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. If we've put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. The things that you have pity on are usually like just miserable, wretched, depressed things. So there, there's some pretty strong words. There's some pretty strong language in these couple of chapters talking about our faith being worthless and we should be pitied. So the reason that Jesus died in the first place was to pay for our sins. You and I, we've got a problem with God. And it's because of our sin. We deserve eternal death. But Jesus was crucified so that he could exchange places with us. 
reality is we should have been the ones that got killed and crucified and sent to hell eternally. But Jesus traded places with us. But here Paul is saying, but without, you know, the death on the cross is significant, you know, that's a big deal. But without the resurrection, he says your faith is worthless, empty, useless, really just good for nothing. And that we should be pitied if you believe in it, if you believe in Jesus, you should be pitied like a bunch of miserable, deluded fools. Why in the world would you be so foolish to be a Christian? What a tragedy. That's, what, that's, that's kind of the idea that he's painting here. And um, it's kind of like a depressing way to start the morning, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a video clip that depicts this sentiment in a movie that came out recently. It's from a recent Marvel movie, actually. It's the, the latest Thor movie. And uh, it portrays, it's actually amazing. When I saw this movie, I'm like, oh my gosh. They totally, it's like they wrote it out of the Bible right here. So you're going you're gonna to see a guy who makes it into the afterlife after a long time of suffering on earth. And then he finally meets the God that he's been worshiping all along. It's like, it's kind, he's kind of like a sun god. And then it doesn't really go that well. So check this out. Anybody watch that movie? Have you seen that one? Really fascinating. It's, it's like they took it out of these verses. So the feeling of pity that Paul writes about is captured in this movie because this man is wretched, weak, miserable guy. He had a miserable life on earth. His daughter died just before this scene. And when he lovingly holds out his hands toward his God, he's met with mockery and laughter and ridicule. The gods throw food in his face, saying he was a stupid dog to believe in an eternal reward. So after years and years of duty and worship, he ends up totally empty-handed. 
And so you feel, you feel that pity when he says, we, we suffered for you. My daughter died in your name. And he can't, so in that moment, you can see he can't make sense out of all the pain he experienced because he got ripped off in the end. Or in Paul's words, his faith was worthless. In the end, he was still a dead man. There's nothing for him after death except for death. So in 1 Corinthians 15, you'll notice that phrase um, when he says, hope for this life only. When, it, when, he, when Paul writes that, he's saying, it's a pity if there's nothing after death except an empty void. And this, I think, this verse, and actually this video, exposes a fear that I think many people have wrestled with. What if I devote my life to serving God, but I come out empty-handed? I might look like a fool. What if, what if this is all a big lie? And I'll find that out at the end. Paul's right. You should pity people that are chasing a foolish myth. By writing this chapter, Paul put his finger on a tender fear that people felt 2,000 years ago just as much as they do today. So here's my question. Why then is the resurrection so significant? Let me read this passage. So I read a couple of verses. I'm going to start at, at kind of the, the beginning of this section. And Paul says, I'm going to read this, and then we'll examine a few of the verses. He says, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? He's, you know, a lot of people didn't believe that it could even happen. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we're found to be false witnesses about God. He's talking about these, a few verses early, he, he mentions all the people that saw Jesus. They saw the resurrected body afterwards. He says, but yeah, but that's just, that's meaningless. That's meaningless. Uh, because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he, di whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. And then, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you're still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. So, I want to point out that first, the resurrection, there's three reasons I think the resurrection is very significant and relevant to us now, today. One is an apologetic reason. Apologetics is a term that means defending the faith. The faith. How do we know that the resurrection even happened? How do we know that it was a real historical event? And I'm actually not going to spend a lot of time on this point, but I do want you to notice this, that Paul makes a few references in this chapter to this fact that it was a real, miraculous event verified with the most credible proof. Um, after Jesus died, he appeared to Peter. So in his... Um, new, living, resurrected, physical body. Jesus appeared to Peter, and then to the 12 disciples, and then a bunch of other guys, and then at one time to 500 people. And that's all captured in this chapter. In any legal court case, nothing beats eyewitness testimony, especially if you've got dozens and dozens, let's say even 100 people from all different backgrounds, not connected to each other, all saying the same thing, and then all, everything lines up perfectly with no deviation. That's like the best possible evidence. And so tons of people saw the resurrected Christ with their own eyes. They told the same story. And this really was a tough sell during the Bible times because no one had a category for resurrection. 
The Romans didn't believe in people coming back to, Christ, to life. The Greeks didn't think this was a real thing. Even many, most of the elite Jewish leaders didn't even think resurrection was real. The Pharisees believed in it, but not the Sadducees. So resurrection, it's a really tough sell, then and now. And so instead of giving all the details, I'm not going to actually, my point today is not to actually prove to you, though we could, that it was a real event. I actually just want to give you a few resources that you could learn more if you want to. Many reputable atheistic guys who set out to disprove the resurrection ended up converting to Christianity once all the facts were on the table. And so here's a few uh, resources on the screen and also on your handout there. I, I, there's way more besides this, but I just wanted to give you a video, a book, and an audio book, depending on your chosen learning method that you like. If you want more resources on this, I have plenty more. But if you're still in the investigation stage when it comes to Christianity, check out, check out one of these resources. I'd, maybe even just start with the first one. It's actually a five-minute YouTube video. It's a good launching point. Um, but if the resurrection of Jesus is real, wouldn't it be worth your time just to find out for sure? I mean, it has a lot of implications, so let's just verify if I'm not sure. So the second reason that the resurrection is really, really important is that without it, Christianity would collapse as a meaningless religion. Christianity in its entirety depends utterly on this event, the resurrection, because it demonstrates Christ's power over sin and death. Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. So we get a lot of comfort for those of us that walk with Christ and we, we've put our faith in him. We get a lot of comfort knowing that, man, my sins have been paid for. I can get right with God. But if he didn't rise from the dead, that's actually not true. And, you know, Jesus still could have died. Maybe, maybe, maybe his death was a real event, but he didn't rise. If only he died it would just be a very kind gesture. You'd be like, ah, oh, what a nice guy. He died for us. But that's it. That's it. it would go no further than that. There's no power for salvation in the death alone. So if we're still in our sins, and all this is kind of meaningless, then why are you even here? Why are we in church? Ministry, caring for people, that would be pointless. Your personal faith, your own search for God, would be a waste. People sharing their testimonies of life change and overcoming things, there, there would be, that would all just be false. It would all just be made up. And worst of all, there would be no hope for us in death. Death comes for everybody, every one of us. And as it consumes the people around us, one by one, and as it marches toward us, there would be no hope for us whatsoever. I've spoken at a few funerals. You've probably been to funerals in your life. And when I speak, I can see the faces of people in the crowd. And as I speak, I feel like I can usually tell who, who the Christians are and who they aren't because uh, the people that have no hope tend to just have blank stares during a funeral. But the faces of people who believe in Jesus show the brightness of hope for life after death. And as they listen to the description of heaven and we talk about the glorious realities of being with Christ forever, there's, there's nodding and there's joy in the midst of the pain. It's really different. You think about these things at funerals. So Paul also describes a practical reason that the resurrection is so significant. And this is probably, this is actually the point 
I kind of wanted to get quickly to this point because this is the one that is especially meaningful to me right now and I think will be meaningful to you as well. The resurrection secures hope that's far better than all the joys on earth. There's a lot of enjoyable things in life. And as far as life on planet earth goes, we all live in probably one of the best places. So we live in the United States, which is great. We live in California, which is great. We live in Southern California. We live in Santa Clarita. This is a, this is a great place to live. It says it on the buses that drive around, where the good life takes you. This is a good place. This is the, that's the tagline, awesome town, right? And uh, you know, your, your, your opinion of awesome town is one thing, but the reality is, as far as most people on the planet go, we have a lot going for us. There's a lot to enjoy, a lot of good things, a lot of blessing, prosperity, um, convenience, medical help, all kinds of things that make our life really good, which is kind of a danger. Actually, actually we're very endangered being here because we can sort of begin to put our hope in this life only, which is what Paul's talking about. You're, he says, you're a fool. You're, you should be pitied if all you're hoping for is what happens in this life only. And the reality is, during life, even during our good lives here in this blessed place, we all hit trouble and disappointments. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. You've hit trouble. You've hit pain and problems and difficulties and grief and bitterness and loss. One example is our bodies. As we get older, we collect pains and injuries that won't go away. We collect bodies and problems until eventually our bodies fail altogether. And then we go back into the ground. That's physical body life. That's one, that's one trouble we face. But beyond that, each person, each of you, you walk through your own sorrows of maybe financial trouble, disappointment about your children, or disappointment about marriage. Or many of us live with some relationships that are broken and fractured, and we just wish there could be peace and goodwill there. And it's just, it's just, there's, it's just broken. It's just broken. And that can cause a lot of pain for a long time. And then, of course, besides that, all those troubles, there's the tragedy of seeing people die who are very important to us. We can't stop death. And sometimes it feels very unfair that it happens. Without Jesus, it's very hard to make sense out of the trouble. So it's like that guy in that movie. How do you make sense? If, if there's just, just nothing but death after death and it's just empty, how do you make sense out of all this awful trouble that we walk through? Man, especially if you're serving God. Especially you're like, man, God, I'm serving you. Why would you let these bad things happen to me? Like, I'm a good person. Like, I'm trying to move my life in your direction. I'm prioritizing things that you said to prioritize. And look at this. This stuff happens still. Paul expresses this thought later in this chapter, in verse 32. He says, he says why, why are we in danger every hour? So he, he put himself at risk to share the gospel. He said, why, why would I do this? Why would I put myself in danger? I face death every day. As surely as I may boast about you, brothers and sisters, in Christ Jesus our Lord, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man, what good did that do me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. It's kind of like a bleak hope. He's actually, he's, this is not what Paul really thinks, by the way. This, he's, he's 
empathizing and identifying the things that people really think. By the way, if you're into philosophy, what he's talking about and what the movie was talking about is nihilism. It's a philosophy meaning that there's, life is meaningless, there's no purpose and values or morals or good things and there's just nothing but an empty void. And you probably didn't think you'd get like a philosophy lesson by watching a Marvel movie, but, <laughs> but it happens. Actually, almost every movie that you watch now has some sort of philosophy and worldview. If you watch enough of them without really thinking about what you're watching, those things kind of seep in, especially our kids and us too, but also our kids. So it's really important that we know what we're watching and evaluate these messages that are so compelling. So bonus material for you there. So Paul says, why do, why do we go through all this trouble? Seriously, why do we go through all this trouble, make all these sacrifices for God? What's the meaning in the suffering? The reference, when he says the eating and drinking, he's not, he's not saying, hey, let us become gluttons and drunkards. Just go hog wild indulgent. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, if there's no afterlife and there's no resurrection, then what you should do is you should eat healthy. You should drink lots of water. You should exercise daily or three to five times a week. You should moderate your sugar. You should do these healthy things because if life on earth is the only real thing, you should be as healthy as possible because then you can enjoy life as long as possible. So exercise, be fit, be healthy. Like you need to get the, mo you need your body to last because after you're dead, it's over. So eat, drink, you know, there's like, currently our, our culture is in this place. We're very preoccupied with organic foods, exercise routines, the right balance of, you know, pills and chemicals and hormones, and all these things, other tips for living natural, prolonging health, exercising in certain ways. That stuff, so that stuff is good. We actually, we do a lot, we eat a lot of healthy stuff. It's good to do that healthy habits are great, but often the motive beneath all that stuff is a desire to maximize quality of life for right now. For this life only. This is what Paul's saying. This is what people tend to do. Let's just make this life as good as it can get. And then what happens is we start losing our sense of the eternal, which is so much more significant. It's so much longer. It's so much greater. It's 10,000 times better than anything here on this planet. But somehow we just like, oh, we just kind of drift into what's right here, right now, the physical stuff, the healthy stuff. Everybody wants joy and happiness right now. But we run into pain and disappointment. Ugh. So what's the deal, God? Man, why? What's going on, God? Our family has walked through some sadness and deep disappointment related to death. In the journey of building a family, God has blessed us, Aaron and I, with several children. We've also lost several pregnancies. And this past fall, we lost a baby girl in the second trimester. When you lose a baby in the second trimester, you still have to deliver the, the baby, and then you can hold the baby in your palm, actually. And so we did that. God allowed us, and that was really very painful. God allowed us to get pregnant again this year, beginning of this year. And then just this week, 
we discover that baby boy died, also in the second trimester. For our living kids, whenever we got to see them alive and kicking on an ultrasound screen, and if you hear the tiny heartbeat just pounding away, like small but fast and loud, it's an exhilarating feeling when you can see the life on the screen, like in the womb. It's just like, man, there's nothing like it. If you're, if you're a parent, if you've done that, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's amazing. But when you see the screen and there's a dead, lifeless body on the screen and there's, it's all curled up and there's a flat line, it's horrible and crushing. So we had that happen this week and we still need to walk through the delivery process, which is not a thing to look forward to for a lot of reasons. And um, I'm telling you this. So I actually, I, I, we let the members of our church know about this. And so we, I, it actually would be easier to not share about this, but you can't hide when you're pregnant in the second trimester and then you can't hide that it's gone. So. The way God designed it, there's no way around being upfront about this. But besides the fact that we just have to tell you, I actually wanted to tell you this because I want you to know how much I really believe in these scriptures. As Paul said, if we put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied. It would be very hard to make sense out of the pain if there was only an empty void after death. I mean, like, what the heck? What, what, why, why go through all this trouble if we're all just going to be dead in the end? And, you know, there's, there's another troubling thought that has crossed our minds this week, and we knew that losing a baby was a possibility. So we've had six lost pregnancies, and the last several were in this later stage. All the doctors and all of the tests have drawn a big question mark as to the reason. We don't know why this is happening. We've investigated. There's, there's, more, there's always more tests and things you can do. It's up to this point, the reason why, the big question why, has evaded us, and God's allowed it to evade us. Maybe he will make it known to us at some point, but we don't, we don't know why this is happening. It's also, one of the doctors said, we have very complicated pregnancy history because we have four really healthy children, and those pregnancies were all uh, problem-free. So what is going on? So because, because of that history, though, in a way, by trying to have more kids, it's almost like we brought this pain on ourselves by deliberately walking into a potentially hazardous situation. And so because of that, some people may see what's happened, and, and they may pity us. And then some people may see what happened, they may say, this is foolish. Like, you knew that, you knew that, you knew that pain could happen, and you, you, you chose to walk there anyway. And if death has the final word, I might agree. But listen to the hope at the end of chapter 15. It writes, Paul writes, that the last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his, meaning Jesus' feet, Jesus will conquer death totally, once and for all. So at the end of the chapter, there's this, it's almost like a song that's written. It says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. 
<clears throat> since Jesus has been raised from, the de from, from death, we too will be raised from death into eternal life. There's a lot of hope in that. Lord willing, our four living children will all put their faith in Christ, and they will live eternally with us. As for the six that have died in pregnancy, they are already with Jesus now. And here's my vision. Here's what I've been thinking about. To combat those negative thoughts, God has blessed Aaron and I with the indescribable privilege of conceiving and then increasing the population of heaven by 10 people. That's pretty exciting to me. When I think about what's coming, what will be eternity forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, that's actually pretty motivating. To say nothing of the other lives impacted through the ministry that he's given us here. Like, you know, we've got biological children, but there's other ways that we've been able to reproduce, and you guys have helped us with that. But I love to think about standing next to all of these children, all 10, or if there's more in the future, when, and when we get there, we'll all be grown in maturity. They won't be little kids. We'll all be in full maturity. And all of us, all 12 of us or more, bringing praise and glory to God together for all eternity. The pain on earth is very light and short in comparison. And because of this, because of this reality, because I really believe this, I really believe this is real, because of that, I do not wish that God spared us this path of suffering. It really matters what you think about life and death and eternal life. It really matters how we live. So our suffering has not been meaningless. For a Christian, suffering is never for nothing. It always produces something. Our suffering as believers in Christ, and in your suffering, I don't know what your suffering is, it's probably different than mine. Maybe some similarities, but you've got your own suffering, and I don't even know what it is. But if you believe in Christ, it's not for nothing. It's producing something good for those of us who walk with Christ. We have a reason to anticipate a joy in heaven that is 10,000 times better than any joy found on earth. And man, we get so preoccupied with this stuff on earth. Trusting Jesus is a really big turning point. Before Christ, we can't make sense out of all the trouble. After Christ, the earthly trouble is no longer the focus. It doesn't drive and consume us. We don't have to wring out all the good stuff in life and then try like crazy to avoid the painful stuff. It's what most people try to do, right? Get as much good, avoid the bad. That's not, that's not the focus. If you're a Christian, that's not, that's not the focus. At least it shouldn't be. Because the painful stuff is coming whether you like it or not. Life has trouble. Life has pain. We all do. We walk through it. We're going to walk through it. Whether you're a believer or not, you're going to walk through pain and trouble. And Paul, when he says, like, why, do, why am I in danger all the time? Why do, why do we go through all this trouble? It's like he's saying, life is hazardous enough on its own. Why make my life even harder by voluntarily taking on more risk to serve God? If death has the final word, then I should be more cautious. I should take less risks. I should focus on my own health. I should protect my bank accounts. I should secure a good future for my kids. I should do all these things for like in a self-protective way. If death has the final word. But death doesn't have the final word. Jesus has secured our eternal hope. So what that means, what Paul's basically saying is, 
So get out there. Get out there and take some risks for the cause of Christ. A genuine Christian ought to be making sacrifices that boggle the minds of everyone else because they're so preoccupied with health and wellness and security and all these good things that we try to secure. The reason the resurrection impacts everyday life, so going back to my original question, why is the resurrection so significant? How will it impact you this week? It's because you will make decisions that make no sense to outsiders. You'll do things that people are like, why are you doing that? Why are you sacrificing in that way? That's foolish. People may think, you, may, you, may, you might make some decisions that are kingdom-oriented, and people will think you're a fool. A foolish Christian that should be pitied. But here's a very one important way to apply this chapter to my life. Because of the resurrection, I believe that my sacrifices for Christ will be worth it. I'm telling you right now, any sacrifice that you make for Christ is worth it. It can be a struggle to believe that. God calls us to make all kinds of sacrifices that don't make sense to people. So here, here, here's some sacrifices that you might make or you're thinking about making. One, here's one. Give 10% of your money to the church when you could spend it on yourself. That's just foolish, right? That's, that's one of the things Christ followers do. We, give, we tie their income. That's crazy. Why would you do that? And here's another one. Cut back on your sleep in an unhealthy way or cut back on your kid's sleep in order to invest more time in people. I need to be healthy. I need to be ready for my job. That's crazy. Here's another one. Decide to root yourself in this city because of a church community instead of chasing a job somewhere else. That's crazy. Go where the money is. Here's another one. This is crazy. Sell everything and move to the jungle where people need to hear the gospel. Man, we got, we got some friends that are in the jungle right now doing that very thing. It's amazing. Or here, here's, here's, okay, this is going to strike home to all of us in Santa Clarita. Well, some of us. This is crazy. Choose, you choose to rent a home instead of buying a home because your church is in a city with a crazy out-of-control housing market that you can't afford even though everyone knows that owning is the better investment. Why would you do that? Why would you not go to a place where you can get a cheaper house? This is crazy. These are, these are okay, so there's, there's many ways that we Christ followers endanger our health, our finances, our future, our kids, our emotional well-being. Man, we throw ourselves, like Paul's saying, like if I threw myself to the wild beast, or if I put myself in danger every day, why would I do that? Walking with Christ means sacrificing things that are very important to me. Jesus himself sacrificed everything, and he wants us to walk that path. Oh my goodness, how are we going to sacrifice like him? I don't know what kind of suffering God is going to ask you to walk through. I don't know what the risks are that are going to be for you or your family. I don't know what the price is going to be that he wants you to pay. I do know that on the other side, there is a resurrection and there's a Savior who is infinitely valuable. He will make any sacrifice that I make worth it in the end so that I can count everything else as worthless compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord.
Instead of, like Paul said, your faith is worthless. No, it's actually the opposite. Everything else that consumes my focus is the worthless stuff in comparison to knowing him. So if you're standing on the edge of sacrifice or risk, maybe you're thinking about a decision or maybe there's an opportunity before you, or maybe you're just ground down by the ongoing sacrifice of serving Christ. If you're standing on the edge of that and God led you there, I would encourage you to take a step forward in faith into the risk and into the sacrifice. Taking a step of faith like that will please God. It'll be worth it, even if it brings suffering. Or maybe you're already experiencing the pain of suffering that God has allowed in your life. You're already in pain. You're already suffering right now. Here's another way to live this out. Joyfully endure suffering by looking forward to heaven. So this is another way. This, this impacts everyday life right now. The Christian life is not all about grin and bear it, just muscle yourself through it. We can cheerfully endure problems and difficulty with hope. We know this life is not all there is. It's okay if things don't come together right now. They're probably not going to totally. They're not going to all the way. It's okay if things don't come together right now. We find greater joy in the pain when we shift our focus to the next life. This is a decision of the will. We choose to focus on what's coming, even though the world says, you're going to get ripped off by having such a foolish hope. <sighs> Why would you do that? No, no, here's the truth. Look at this. Romans 5, it says, we rejoice in our sufferings. It's almost like my pain, my trouble, our losses, those are grounds for boasting, like in a good way, like, man, this is incredible. Like, I rejoice in my sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. That means, like, i got to get through this with God's help, and he's going to help me. He's going to strengthen me. He's going to provide what I need. And then endurance produces character, which means if I have good character, I'm not blown around by all the troubles and circumstances that go wrong. i got a strong, stable character. Character produces hope, and the hope does not put us to shame. Our hope will not disappoint us. We will not be ripped off. If you go back to that movie in your mind that we watched, the guy was disappointed in an extreme way. Everything he hoped for came crashing down. That will not happen to us when we trust in Christ. And it be, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So our sufferings produce good things that we cannot get another way. It's kind of like Paul is saying, like, your sufferings are awful, but they're good because we get good stuff from them that we can't get any other way. We end up getting things that are 10,000 times more valuable than gold. So if you want a real solid hope that will not disappoint you in the end, put your faith in Jesus. Trust him. Thank him for his death on your behalf, and then joyfully receive the promise of a resurrected life that lasts forever. Decide today that your life will no longer be about your pursuits. You will not run your own life <laughs> as much as we want to. 
decide I'm not going to run my own life. I'm going to put Jesus in charge. I'm going to let him be in charge of every slice of my life. The decisions, the future, the money, the friends, everything. He's in charge of it all. And if doing that is tugging on your heart, when I talk about that and that's tugging on you, then let's talk about it today. I'm going to stand over here in this corner with a few other leaders from our church. And um, after this surface is over, let's, let's just talk about it. I'd love to hear if this is tugging on you in any way. And I would love to hear about your spiritual journey and maybe the reason that God led you here today because, honestly, you're here for a reason. You're supposed to be here. God led you here. He led all of us here. And one big reason for that is he loves you very much. He cares a lot about you. He knows the sufferings you're going through. And he wants you to live with him forever. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this incredible hope that you have made available to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We are so, so grateful for your love for us, your enduring care, the way you lead and guide us. And I thank you for all the people that you've brought here today. Thank you for the way that you've shown care for my family personally this week. We still need your help, though, and it has been a tough week, and we need um, you to provide encouragement and comfort and just additional hope from your word. And so I pray that you would be with others that are suffering through other things as well and provide those same things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.